Bonnie Jill Laughlin here on the Weekly Pass, joined by my co-host, Adam Copeland. And we are going to be joined by one of my favorite uh, players and friends of the wife for a long time. I know we've been talking a lot of football, but we got to talk to this lefty. He was great on the mound. He had that presence, and uh, I think he's going to be a really great interview as he likes to really talk a lot. Copes, you ready for him? I'm ready. Let's welcome him in. Our next guest, one of the best lefties the game has seen, 21 years of service, three-time All-Star, two-time World Series champ with the Blue Jays and the Yankees, where he pitches perfect game, joined by my co-host. Let's welcome David Wells. Thanks for joining us, Boomer. My pleasure. Last time I saw you, you were in the uh, in Tahoe in the American City Century uh, Golf. How did you do? I sucked. <laughs> <laughs> but you're always, you're always playing. You can't suck. I, you know what? It, it's funny about that tournament. I always play well before I get there. I mean, I'll, I'll go there and I'll play a couple practice rounds. I'll shoot in the seventies. You know, I'll chip in for eagle or you name it. And then when it starts, oh my God, it's like who is that guy out there? Well, well David, <laughs> I, I I won't pretend to be some good golf or anything, but I, I feel like that's the the regular case of golf with anybody who plays is you shoot a good round, you go out, you shoot another one. You're like, damn, I'm, I'm getting better at this thing. <laughs> and you go out and you shoot a hundred and you're like, okay, maybe I should just stay away from these tournaments for a while. Dude, let me tell you, I could, I shot it. This is unbelievable. About, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. I, I shot my best round ever. I went out and shot a 68, had an albatross wow. the next day, the next day, Nina and I are some friends of ours were members at La Jolla country club. I shot a 105. I went from a 68 to a 105. So, How the hell is that possible? Well, then, and then, no, then nobody I, believes you're 68 either. Then you got to sell that on people. Oh, I, I tell me about it. So, it, but at least I had witnesses there with me when I shot that round. But so I vowed I'd never play that course again, and and I'm still holding true to this day. I've never played it. It's just, it's just something about that La Jolla Country Club course because uh, it's tight. It's you know it's it's just for some reason I was hitting five off the tee almost every other hole. I was just like, what the hell? And I and you know I, I wish I could claim I was drinking or something like that, but no, I was I was that's probably because I was sober when I did it on that one. Normally when you go out, you have a couple pops, a couple beers with you, but no, nah, not this time. You gotta get greased up, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Now, Wellesley, I want to talk about the game now and then. Like, you know, pitchers are getting yanked early. You know, how would you have handled that as a pitcher? I mean, I don't think I could see you wanting to leave a game, you know, in the, in the fifth inning. And, you know, your th- kind of thoughts on that and analytics now. Um, you know, the, the analytics are – there's some validity to a bunch of it. But I think for most of it, it's, you know, the way the game is going, you're seeing these guys because now they're protecting them so much. I think that's why the injuries are – are there because they're throwing harder because mm-hmm. um, they know they're coming out after, you know, close to a hundred pitches, um, you know, but just these computers are telling you how good you are through the first nine um, in the lineup. And then your second, second turn through it's, it might be different. So they're crunching numbers that way. Um, I mean, but they're just not letting these guys go. And, and it was weird because um Brad Penny and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago um, about, you know, like the Hall of Fame, how it's going now. But now with these analytics and the way the game is now, you're not going to see guys with – you're only going to see a couple guys with 200 innings a year. Um, you're not going to see these great numbers in, in pitchers. 
you're not going to see winds. You're not going to see that. So how is that going to, you know, how's that going to um, fall on, on the, on the hall of fame voting? Cause I think there's going to be a big gap because unless there's going to start voting guys in that, you know, through the, uh, through the committee, you have guys that played from like the eighties, nineties, you know, into uh, the new millennium, um, you know, early on before the analytics started. So I don't know how they're going to get these guys in from the Hall of Fame with the numbers that they're doing now because they're not getting the innings. They're not getting the, you know, the the wins and complete games. You know, a lot of that stuff goes into it. When you're looking to get voted into the Hall of Fame, you want shutouts, you want complete games, you want innings mm-hmm. pitch, strikeouts, and all this kind of stuff. And you're not going to see that. So, you know, it was, it was an interesting – you know, conversation with Brad, how, you know, this would go. And he goes, there's going to be a lot of guys that, you know, that are on the border uh, or like on the cusp of going in. And because Tommy John, I don't know how the hell that guy's not in, yeah, right. you know, and, and Lou Whitaker, you're mm-hmm. looking at guys at Lou Whitaker. So why wouldn't these guys, I mean, these guys have probably have a great opportunity of going in, but you know, the analytics I think are, are kind of ruining the game, but you know, some of it does help and it does give some valid validity to certain issues in the game but uh, overall i'm not really a big fan of it now piggybacking off what you said you have 239 wins i mean that's a lot of wins i mean besides you know some old war horses like you know cc's bath there even verlander i think he's like a 219 i mean i don't know another pitcher that will be able to do that match the wins that you have because of the analytics and you know yanking these pitchers yeah and you know and, and to me that's that's why because you know if i'm going to vote somebody into the hall of fame i want to see you know, I'm going to, you're going to look at their, you know, how consistent they are year after year, you know, building up the innings, you know, pitching complete games. Uh, you know, to me, your, your, your walks are very important, I think, because I was a guy that didn't walk guys. And there's a lot of other guys that didn't walk a whole lot of guys, but you know, the strike, they weren't strikeout guys, but still the numbers are, are there, but you're, you're going deep into the game you're giving your team a chance to win. Uh, you know, it's like Tom Glavin. You know, you look at Tom Glavin, Hall of Famer. This guy, after the sixth inning, was probably one of the best pitchers of all time to hold a one-run lead. You know, so you're seeing, you know, how these guys are going out and, and, and keeping their team in the ball game, so they have a chance to win. And, you know, right now, but because the game's so changed so much, you got so many guys in the bullpen, they're pitching every night almost. And every guy throws 100. But not everybody knows how to pitch, and that's that's just the shame of the uh, of the way it's going now because there's so many good arms, but a lot of these guys don't know what to do with it. They just want they want velocity is all they want. It yeah. seems like you know on every team because every guy's throwing a million. You, you use the term the analytics may be ruining the game, but you're using it in the context of like when we look at historical moments in baseball or going back historically. I know you love the the history of the game, and you go back to like you know the dead ball era, and then you look at the steroid era, and then you look at even now maybe the like the, the three true outcome era, right, where it's a strikeout, a home run, or a walk. That's kind of all guys have. But I hear what you're saying in that if you're going to compare guys from the 1970s and 80s that were borderline Hall of Fame guys, and then you, you now have changed the game to where the sanctity of these records, the value of them will almost never be caught because the game isn't conducive to it anymore – it seems to me like I would agree. I feel like I would agree with you in that the records or the Hall of Famers that are coming up in the next twenty-five years are going to be much different than the stats that the guys the previous twenty-five years had before them. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, how that how that works because 
you know, w- 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 with me, you- you're looking at the at the game, and these computers are telling you how good you are. You might go 0 for 4, but you might smoke the ball to the warning trap, hit maybe gappers, and guys are just running it down. That computer's telling you, wow, you had a great day. BS. You didn't have a great day. You, had a, you went 0 for 4, you know, and it's just like, you know, you go four innings of, you know, of maybe two hit ball, but you, you walk five or six guys and you've thrown 90 something pitches and you're coming out of the game after four innings. That's a quality start. BS. That's not a quality start. <laughs> You know, it's it, it's crap. It's it, to me, it's it's like, just see what this guy can do. You know, and and when Nolan Ryan uh, was with the uh, when he was in the front office with the with the Rangers, he was letting these guys pitch deep into the game. He wanted to see if they could pitch out of trouble. Nowadays, you can't pitch out of trouble because that computer's telling you, nope, you're not good. These all these matchups are good. Sometimes you need to find those matchups. You know, for me, I want a challenge. I I couldn't get I couldn't get Mo Vaughn out. He was mm-hmm. a challenge for me. So I would go out. I throw that damn guy the kitchen sink to try to do it. I, I finally came to terms with Mo. You know what? I love you, buddy, but I can't get you out. So if there's a base open, I'm just gonna hit you. <laughs> I'm just gonna hit you with one pitch. Well, that, that... And he's like, he's like, why? And I said, because I don't want to waste four pitches on you <laughs> for one thing. And you're a liability on first base. So I would rather get a double play on the next guy with you on first base because you can't run that fast. <laughs> but you know what? The guy was such a great hitter and a, a great competitor. You know, to me, it's just it's something like that. So I kind of changed the analytics on that because I knew I couldn't get this guy out. So let me just plunk him with one pitch so I don't get, you know, so my pitch count doesn't go up. And you do it that way. Yeah, my- him with a, with a beat. <laughs> Hit him with a BP fastball, you know. Don't, I like that. Don't, don't aim for the head. But, That's what I did. Well, Mo Vaughn ain't stealing many bases, but how? Like, how, do you know off the top of your head how many times you may have drilled Mo Vaughn? Um, I don't know. I mean, I probably hit him a few times, but you know, that's what I told him. But with me, with nobody on base, I'm going to challenge anybody. I didn't care, and you know, even as stubborn as I was on the mound. I'm still going to come after you because I threw strikes. I didn't throw balls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see these guys nowadays, they nibble. Now you look at and I watch, you know, a lot of games and I, and I see the strikes zone. they're not getting an inch or two off each, off each corner of the plate. They're getting high and low. So if, if it's like, they say the strike zones from the kneecap to the chest. And that's the way it's always been since I was a little kid. They told us. But when I got to the big leagues, try pitching to Ricky Henderson and Wade Boggs, where their strike zone was the size of a Rubik's cube, and and so and then all of a sudden in the National League, you see they're throwing a foot outside, getting the call for a strike. Yeah. So you know, National League and American League were different. Umpires are different now. They've changed it to where it's more up and down than side to side, and they're not given an inch. That's how. I mean, you, you look at you think these umpires are, God dang, these guys are good, man. Their eyes are that good to see an inch off the plate. You know, that that to me is like you're going to get one side or the other. And that's why everyone liked John Hirschbeck because John Hirschbeck had a big strike zone. You know, and then you go to Tim McClellan who had a really small strike zone. So it was, it was just, it was tough. Each umpire was different. But these pitchers need to know what they, you know, where that strike zone is. I would always ask an umpire, are you are you calling in or out today? I would always ask him like that. 
you know, and you try to strike up a conversation. You try to get them on your side. You don't want to fight with the umpires like I always did, but at least I would always yeah. ask to see where, you know, what my best chances were that day and where his strike zones were. You said something good a minute ago about uh, the quality start in that it's it basically it's all contextual, right? Because, you know, you could throw 100 pitches and there could be guys on base every single inning or you could throw 100 pitches and nobody reaches base. You're never out of the stretch. You're you're going seven deep or eight deep. Uh, how how often or how early into a game did you feel like you had command of the strike zone or when did you know when you had your good stuff and, and maybe parlay that into to talking about when you knew you had it in the perfect game? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when you're getting easy outs, then then you know, you're, and you're breezing, you're getting through. If, as long as you work quick, because there's nothing worse than a slow pitcher going out there and putting everybody else to sleep out there. You know, you want you want you want to keep it going. And when you're getting easy outs, with whether it's strikeouts, ground balls, double plays, whatever it may be, you know, that's that's when you know you're in command. You know, but when you when you build up a reputation, you know, this guy throws strikes, he's coming after you today. Let's go. That's, you know, when you know you need to go out there. And you'll know who those pitchers are. And those, right now it's Verlander, it's Scherzer, it's, uh, you know, even like with with um, with uh, Her- or Herman, he's throwing the heck out of the ball this year for the Yankees. But he's throwing strikes, and, and he's he's making it look easy, you know, to me. So you, you, want, you want to try to, you know, find your net and be consistent with it. And then that's where you're, you're going to be – that's where you're going to get a reputation. And when you get that reputation to go out there throwing strikes, it, it, it kind of it's a mental game with certain guys because some guys like to see a lot of pitches. See, with me when I pitched against the Yankees all those years, these guys like to take pitches. They want to see. They want to wear you down. Especially when I played with them in '97 and '98. I mean, we took a lot of pitch. Chuck Knobloch was the best at mm-hmm. taking pitches. But if you don't give them the opportunity to do that, you come out and you get strike one, strike two. Now you're changing their game. So that's what you have to do is you got to change the hitters' games because the hitters are always adapting. They're getting better. You know, some guys, you know, there's certain guys you own, there's certain guys you don't own. So how am I going to get that guy out, you know, and to really to, to stop all, you know, all the, you know, all the thinking process, just go out and throw strikes, you know. you got eight guys behind you. Let them earn their money too. So pitch down in the zone, know what – you know, know the situation and, and do that and try not to make the mistake. And you ever feel that way during that perfect game? Because I know you publicly said that you were, I think you were hungover. Well, no, he right? I, I don't remember. <laughs> I, I was not in very good shape that day, not at all. So, but, you know, to me, I, I knew, you know, as hungover as I was and the situation I was in, I knew if I didn't go out there and keep my team in the ball game, I was going to get fined. I was probably going to get suspended. You know, for whatever, because, you know, I smell like a damn brewery out there. <laughs> you know, I had, as the game was going, the more I was sweating, the worse, you know, I, I, I probably stunk. But to me, it's, it's you know, you got to know your limitations. I did one of the stupidest things going out the night before, getting annihilated, you know, with the Saturday Night Live cast. And, and but, you know, I, I got lucky, you know, and the thing was is that I just knew and I knew. You know, as bad as my warm-ups were, as bad as I was feeling, and a lot of people, you know, people know when you, they, they can smell you, they can just see in your eyes that, oh, this guy doesn't have it today. I, I've been there. So you got to, yeah. <laughs> Not on the you hill, but like in life, way. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you, but you got to find, you got to find a way because 
you know, if you're out of that game early, it's 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 all over for you. You're going to have to answer some questions that aren't going to be very comfortable. And you're still answering the questions, but we're talking about a perfect game rather than a, rather than a, maybe a meltdown out there. I'm wondering, like in a game like that, and you see this in movies sometimes. I think primarily of that. Uh, what's that? That uh, the Costner movie where he throws the perfect for love of the game. Love right? of the game, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and one, yeah, at one point the catcher comes out. I think it's John C. Riley. It's like the seventh inning, and, and Costner asks him. Anybody been on base tonight? And he goes, no, man, nobody's been on base. You knew, I mean, pitchers know, right, what's going on. You know, and, and it's funny because after I threw the perfect game, um, you know, it was after that. I get, I'm get, i walking. I'm just, I'm in New York City in the morning. I'm just walking around, and my phone rings. I answer, and I'm like, hello. And he goes, is this David Wells? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, this is Kevin Costner. And I'm like, yeah, right. And I hung up. And I hung up. And he called back, and I'm like, I'm like, hello. And he goes, don't hang up. <laughs> this is really Kevin Costner. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep talking, keep talking. And he's talking. I'm like, kind of sounds like Kevin Costner. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, what can I do you for? And he's like, he goes, hey, I'm I'm doing this movie about pitching a perfect game. And he goes, I just want to, you know, I want to sit down with you at some point and pick your brain about, you know, your, your superstitions and all this. And I'm like, are you here in New York? He goes, yeah, I'm at the four seasons. I'm like, all right. So I went down the four seasons. He came down and met me. We went up to a suite and started talking a couple hours had some lunch. And then, and we were in town for a week and he goes, are you here for one? So we, I met with him every day, every day we met and we just went over, you know, this, about the perfect game. He was just asking me all these questions, you know, and, and he had uh, his his assistant, whatever, writing stuff down and, and all that. So it was kind of – it was pretty cool that, you know, I just went through a perfect game and now I'm talking about, you know, a perfect game, but what he went through. But he just wanted, like, all the rituals and, and all that kind of stuff. And so then he asked me, do you want to do you want to be part of the game or you want to be in the movie? And I'm like, well, how long is it going to take? And he goes, about three months. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I- I go, I go. That's my whole off season. He goes, I know. And I said, man, I I would love to, but I can't because <laughs> I'm going hunting. <laughs> so, Kurt Gip- <laughs> so Kurt Gibson and I had uh, we have a ranch in Michigan that we uh, that we own. So we're, I was big into hunting, and and I declined to do it. And you know, I saw a lot of guys in the in the movie that you know were teammates of mine, and. <laughs> And I never got he, – he never gave me a credit or anything after a week of – after a week of consulting. <laughs> wow, I thought he would have for sure. I like, <clears throat> no, it was, it, was, it was funny. But, I mean, to me – but we did go out one night and, you know, Tin Cup. I love the movie Tin Cup. That's a good one. And Renee Russo is, is one of my favorite actresses of all time. And so Nina, Nina was with me and we were at the Whiskey Park over there off of, uh, I think, 58th and uh, – and uh, six, I think this little corner bar is pretty cool. And so things came up, and so I brought up Tin Cup, and Nina goes, "Oh, that movie sucks." And Kevin's like, "F you." <laughs> Nina's like, "No, F you." That's so Nina. F you match. <laughs> yeah, so they got an F you match. It was I was dying. I was laughing so hard because, you know, <laughs> Kevin's like, I mean, I'm going, Nina, that's a great. She goes, "No, that movie sucks. I didn't like it." And it was like, but right to Kevin's face, it was unbelievable. It was funnier than hell. So. Now, to switch gears but that's a little bit. my story with Kevin Costner and his, his love of the game. But, I mean, it was I love a good that. That's movie. one of my favorite movies. I love that. It's a good one. 
Now, uh, yeah, 19, in 1985, um, David, you had Tommy John surgery, and uh, we're here in San Francisco, and Johnny Cueto is coming back from Tommy John, and he said he wanted one more rehab start. How long does it actually really take before you feel like 100%? Does it take a couple seasons, or kind of walk us through that? Well, every individual is different, you know, on their rehab and, and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, once I once I came, once I got the cast off, you know, it was a soft cast and I started going through rehab and, you know, starting to reuse my arm again. I was taking my fingers and walking them up a wall, um, just trying to do a little stretching to get, get your extension and all that. Because a lot of guys, once they do it, their arm is locked and they, they don't have the the extension that they normally get and the rehab nowadays are unbelievable compared to the eighties when, when I had mine. And so I, yeah. So to me, it was just basically, you know, instead of going to, you know, a a physical therapist, which, you know, I didn't do a whole lot. I did, but not a whole lot. I just, all I did, you know what? I got on my surfboard, I got a longboard and I got in the ocean and I paddled and that's all I did was just paddle to get you know extension the resistance in the water then to that point i started doing that and literally it took me so i had it done in uh what in april at the end of april um and you were in the minors right yeah so it was the beginning of april it was right after spring training i went and i had it so april so probably a year or yeah it was like a year little over a year I came back and, and I'm like, I was worried, you know, that I wasn't going to be able to pitch. I didn't know what was going on because of the scar tissue and all that kind of stuff. So I just, you know, I just, at that point, you just say, you know what, you got to block out all that and just go for, just go for it. Just go full tilt. Mm-hmm. Don't baby it. Don't do anything. And if it happens again, it blows out, then maybe it was meant to be, but you had to take that, that mindset. And I compensated and I ended up blowing out my shoulder and having rotator and labrum the next year after coming back from Tommy John. So it, to me, it's, 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 it's probably smart to take your time with those and take a year and a half, maybe to two years, like you said, but it just depends on the individual and, and doing that. Cause it's such a, an extreme surgery that you have, but you know, the rehab, that they have now, I think can probably bring you back a little faster or make you feel better a lot easier, but still it's up to the individual. And you were the second round pick of the draft and you had it done in the minors, like you said, but you know, some teams are kind of scared to draft a kid that has Tommy John, like, but then you look at the success of like, you know, Dodgers, uh, Walker Bueller, I mean, he's done really well. And so it has kind of changed how the advancements with Tommy John. No, it has. And you look at the the kid here that signed a few years back, Brady Akins, mm-hmm. at a at a Cathedral High School, and um, and so you you look at that, and and here's a guy who was so dominant in high school, and and then he signs first pick, and he's wanting nine million dollars. So they got every every organization a first rounder is going to have to get go see their doctor team doctor and do a physical and do all that and do x-rays and all that well they found something in his i think it was all all the lateral uh ligament through just through an mri and it kind of concerned them so they dropped him down to well we'll give you five million you know in that slot instead of the nine million dollar slot they went to five million well whoever his agent was wasn't you know just take the money 
regardless of the five to nine, you're going to make, if you're that good, you're going to make that money up later on. And, and that's where I think agents sometimes can be, a, a, you know, a bad situation. If you let them do all that, it should be up to the individual who signed. But, and now the guy's not even playing baseball and he could have got 5 million, but, and, and then he would have been in the organization. He probably got all the help that he wanted, but he, he didn't. He ended up going, I think, to junior college or something like that and, and doing that. Now he's out of the game, but, you know, he ended up having the Tommy John surgery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brady but Aiken's one of the – with an organization. Aiken's one of the uh, – the, I guess one of the, the more nightmare stories regarding that because he, uh, he had a lot of potential, and you said it. He could have made a lot of money and, and been a good pitcher in the yeah. league, but, uh, but it did not go well. Uh, as far as the draft situation went, uh, you're, now you're from San Diego, right, David? You're from the area? Yes. Now, yeah. I, in, in 2000, was it three or four you came back to the Padres? 2004. 2004, you came back to San Diego, you played for the Padres. And so you were with Hoffman and Bruce Bochy, of course, your manager. You were with a couple of guys who were now coaching, of course, right. in baseball. Mark Loretta's a bench coach for the Cubs. I think Phil Nevin's still bouncing around third base coach somewhere. Um, two-part yeah, question here. Yeah. What's that? That's right. He was he was here in San Francisco with the Giants for a year, and now he's out in New York. Um, Two part question: Then those guys, did you anticipate seeing those types of teammates, or were there other teammates you knew could be good coaches or potentially good managers? And then just maybe a thought on Bruce Bochy as we're ending the uh, the the great tenure of his career. Well, you know, to me, when I was with the Yankees in '97, Joe Girardi taught me, but Joe Girardi was always he always looked at him. And he was always with, with Zimmer and, and Torrey, just, you know, sitting by him all the time. You knew Joe Girardi was going to be a manager somewhere. You just knew it just because, you know, his his love for the game, obviously, but he was a thinker and, you know, he just – he had that he had that look, that demeanor that he was going to be a, a coach sometime. And he ended up becoming a manager for a few teams and, you know, winning a World Series and all that. And – but – when you see like Mark Loretta, another guy, smart guy, you know, uh, you know, he, he was a gamer. He knew the game inside out and, but he was a thinker as well. So you would look at him and say, yeah, he's going to be a coach somewhere. But then he came to the Padres as uh, in the front office with, with the GM's assistants and all that. Same with Brad Osmus, right. you know, but, and, you know, but you see a lot of these guys that don't get a whole lot of playing time, so they're maybe second string and all that, like Mike Matheny mm-hmm. and, and all these guys. Those are the guys you knew that were probably going to be coaches. And, and it, it's weird because, you know, there's a lot of guys that could be a coach in this game, and it, it's very simple. But, you know, nine times out of ten, these are, they're, they're the smart guys that, you know, went to college, had a good – you know, had a good college degree and all that, and then you and you see it because like Bruce Bochy, when I when I had my Tommy John, um, you know, so I blew my arm out in 1984, and I came back and I rehabbed it before the surgery. So in the off season, at, it was so in the off season, I came back to San Diego and I'm working out with the Padres. Well, Alan Trammell was working out with them. Alan Wiggins was there, so they had these little camps down at. at uh, at Jack Murphy and Bruce Bochy was catching my bullpen. And so it was, it was kind of, it was kind of great, but I never threw a curveball. I was getting my velocity back up there with fastballs, but you know, there's Bruce Bochy catching me. And then all of a sudden I come back to 2004 with the Padres. Now he's my manager. And we talked about it. We kind of laughed about it and all that, but it's just, it's weird, but you saw Bruce, but Bruce 
You know, he wasn't a starter. He got his games in and all that, but he was the kind of guy, the same thing. He just, he had a knack for the game. And when you have that, you know, and you get that opportunity to go coaching and you put your due diligence in and you, and, and you put your time in, you're going to move your way up the ladder. And that's what they did. And look at Bruce. He's probably going to be ranked as probably one of the best managers ever. Mm-hmm. You know, I played for a lot of great managers. Sparky Anderson, by far, you know, is the best manager I ever played for. Bruce Bochy is probably the second best guy I've ever played for. I love him because he, he, he loved his players. He gave everybody opportunity. And, you know, uh, he, he just knew the time to get guys out and knew when to keep guys in. And he, and he just didn't mess with the game. But that's why, you know, when those types of managers that you have, you know, there's a lot of guys that just they get their information from upstairs. They're yes men. You don't want yes men. You want guys that – I think that's why Bruce is leaving because of the analytics. Yeah, a lot of people have said that. You know, but, yeah. yeah, it's a sensitive topic here in the but, city, yeah. Right, but I don't – I mean, I haven't talked to Bruce about it, um, and I'm sure I will when he's when he's retired. But, you know, to me, they got four or five guys traveling with each team with their analytics. Why do you need coaches? That's what sucked mm-hmm. about this whole thing. You know, because you're, you're going to lose great managers like Bruce Bochy if you're not going to let them – you know, they're old-school guys. Old school still works. You know, if last time I looked, it still works, but they're trying not to let it work. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And we'll end it there, though, because that's good stuff. Really good stuff, Wellesley. I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time because I could talk to you forever, the stories you got, especially the Kevin Costner story. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't yeah, have a part. It was a trip. <laughs> Thanks, yeah, Wellesley. Tell Nina hello. So Give her a big kiss for me. Oh, you got okay. it. My pleasure. I'm so glad you asked that question about, you know, that end up talking about the Kevin Costner movie because that's one of my favorites. I loved Kelly Preston. I love Kevin Costner. Here's these two. And, you know, I mentioned that I love that game. People say that's a love story. I said, no, it's not. It was a baseball movie. Don't you think it was a baseball movie? I do think it was a baseball movie. And as far as, like, baseball is one of the harder sports, I feel like, to get right in movies, like when you're looking at action shots and stuff. And they do it great because they have Steve Lyons on the broadcast Vin Scully mm-hmm. is one of the, uh, the is the is the play by play guy, and they're doing it. It's like it's like supposed to be a Fox Saturday game at Yankee Stadium between the Yankees and the Tigers. Was it Billy Chapel, Billy Chapel. Yeah. I only remember. How do I remember that? Well, I'll tell you. The only reason I remember the main character, Kevin Costner's character yeah. in the movie for Love of the Game, Billy Chapel, is because when he throws the perfect game, shocker! If you haven't seen the movie, yeah. it's like twenty five years old. Oh, spoilers! <laughs> if you haven't seen the movie, you should go see it as a baseball fan. But Vince Scully's got one of the best calls in a in a movie, I think, for a baseball call. He says the cathedral that is Yankee Stadium now belongs to a chapel, and it's yeah, I, I was just funny. sort of asking him on a on a whim, just the perfect game thing. You know, I feel like athletes never love the the movies about the sports they play. I've heard that Bull Durham is a pretty accurate depiction of the mm-hmm. minor leagues because it's guys struggling. But uh, to to ask a guy who's thrown a perfect game about a movie about a perfect game and he had input. It's pretty impressive. I can't believe I never knew that. Did you? Did I, you did you know that is actually he got his inspiration from Wells? No, That's crazy to I, me. I actually was only asking because it peaked in my mind. Oh, we're asking him about a perfect game and there's the movie yeah. of course about throwing yeah. a perfect game in Yankee Stadium which of course David Wells. Yeah, one of my favorite. Now I feel like I got to watch that movie. You know, next I can have more in depth about oh, he was talking to Wells during all this. It's you it's know? a good movie. Yeah, but David didn't want to do it. He said not unless you give me a part in Dances yeah. with Wolves. Yeah. <laughs> right. I need a part in Robin Hood then I'll do it. Yeah. And I'll do it. Well, perfect. Again, like, I could talk to him forever. He yes. just has the greatest stories, and you always learn something more, like we just did. By the way, he mentioned Yes Men. I didn't want to, to beat on it. Yes Men, as far as managers go, he mentioned Sparky Anderson. He mentioned Bruce Bochy. 
You mentioned Joe Torre in no, that conversation. No, he did not mention yeah. Joe Torre. It's interesting to think about. I think they went back and forth those two a little bit. So. I, I, Boomer's a pretty, uh, I think he's Focal a set his ways guy. Oh, yeah. yeah, he is. I've yeah. known him and his wife a long time, so yes. And we'll be back here again on the Weekly Pass. I'm Bonnie Joe Laughlin. I'm Adam Copeland. And we'll see you again.